Master H on the beat. Welcome to another episode of Fufu Impact. It's me, your girl, Adjoa. And Nicole. So it's I'm like so close to the camera. <laughs> Why am I so close? <laughs> it's just the two of us today. We have no guests. Um, it's been a while since you and I did a proper catch up. It's going yeah. to be an interesting episode because we don't have guests because we are each other's guests. We're interviewing each other. So Yeah. We thought we would treat you to really getting to know us and how we feel as African women, being African, and so forth. So like I just said, we are interviewing each other. But before we get to that, Ajwa, instead of talking about the regular schmegular stuff, about COVID as we know like there's really nothing new that's happened in our lives because we're still restricted but um one thing that I did think of because this is I have an answer for you but what is sort of something that you've done during this quarantine lockup that's maybe out of character or as a result of just being locked up and having cabin fever you know do you have anything the only thing that I can say that is out of character is I haven't blocked and deleted certain people that I should have. <laughs> I have gained it. sounds so stupid. But I think no. I, have, I have become ridiculously patient during this time um, mm-hmm. because I'm trying to be very understanding of everyone and their moods during this period of time. So I haven't blocked and deleted. I haven't cussed anybody else, especially in my house. I haven't actually fought with my sister, which is very out of character. And <laughs> we would have every reason to fight. But I think I've become very, very patient and extremely understanding during this period. And that is very out of character. So maybe I am transforming for the better but I know that once this lockdown is over, I might transform back to block and delete <laughs> and fighting with my sister. But yeah. That's well, it. I mean, that's good. That's growth. You know, every time somebody becomes more like patient, understanding, it's like there's some form of enlightenment there. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine is not as good as yours. My gosh, yours is like really like you went, you know, you've grown into a butterfly, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, but Mine is like, I. <laughs> did you say you're about to turn into a hornet soon if this <laughs> continues? But anyways, I know. No, mine is, mine was just like, I cut bangs. Like, it's really bad. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> like, bangs. <laughs> it's so funny because at the, mo- at the time, it felt right. It felt right. I was like, you know what? My hair goes fast. I'm just gonna do it. And if it's if it's ugly, it's just gonna be in a bun. 
it's been, it's become such a bother and so annoying and like I don't straighten my hair you know what I'm saying I just have curly hair so it's like who told me and every time I see Kwame looking at it I'm like yo why did you tell me to cut my bangs he didn't when I cut my bangs he was just like what did you do <laughs> so I think that kind of my thinking was like oh you know whatever it's gonna we're gonna be in this lockdown for a really long time so it's just gonna grow back but it's been such a nuisance um the other thing that's not something out of character but something that was really strange is that during this quarantine there's this there's this goose this goose that comes and sits outside our window and i swear to you a goose is that what you call it or a geese it's a goose. It's a it's goose singular. Goose is a goose. Yeah, it's a yeah. goose. A, so there's this crazy-ass goose that comes and sits outside our living room window. Mm-hmm. And he sits there all day. And he stares inside of our, um, into our living room. And it's hella scary. And he, I'm assuming it's a he. But um, this goose just came as soon as lockdown happened. So I just find that really strange <laughs> that we have this damn goose. <laughs> yeah. Garden angel goose. It's weird. He comes and he goes. And the funny thing is, is like he walks back and forth from our living room to our patio, like our patio area, our backyard area. And uh, I can just hear him. And whenever I think he's gone, because I'm like, oh, I look out the window, he's not there. He's, he's in the back area. And it's scary because... Like, he can literally jump into our backyard and if he wanted to. You know what I'm saying? But anyways, that's the creative. To me, I was like, okay, are all the, like, are the geese now, you know how they keep saying because of um, the roads being clear and people not populating the city and all that stuff, like, animals are taking over yep. and mm-hmm. coming out of their habitat. So I thought, oh, my gosh, please don't tell me we're going to be bombarded with geese, you know? But I heard that, I saw, like, recently, I think, in the online, there were people who were escorting geese across the street. Yes. And downtown then, Toronto, right? Downtown Toronto. And then there have been people who've gone into battles with these geese. And they've been like <laughs> attack, the geese have been attacking them, which is like scary. Cause I thought like they seem like we you know the, the story of the golden goose and the golden goose and the, the the goose and the golden egg and whatever, or we hear stories of, you know, the whatever. They always seem so pleasant and lovely. And to think that they could be these murderous animals, like, it's crazy. But you have someone watching well, you guys. It's, it's so weird, though. But did you see that there was that video of, of um, people helping the geese across the street, downtown Toronto? I want to say it looks like it's close to, like, Queen's Key Lake yeah. area. Mm-hmm. Um, but did you see one girl was not wearing shoes? Yeah! I don't know. But I was like, (laughs) I mean, I don't mean it in the wrong way, but like, girl. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I, yeah, I was like, I hope maybe she's young and I want to, I don't, I I was like, let me not knock her because maybe she has some mental health issues, but I was like, Listen, in Toronto to walk the dirt like barefoot, mm, that's not a good idea. Nasty. I'm sorry, but I just yeah. so weird. Unless she was at Lakeshore or she was by the waterfront, 
but you wouldn't no. put your feet in the water because it's nasty yeah no that was this was like downtown you're walking yeah. down the streets but i, I didn't get but that I, either. and i was like and it's so funny because the emphasis of the video was watching this cute thing happening right and this really <laughs> humble and noble thing and like all the comments were about the girl with no shoes <laughs> I was like, leave it up to Torontonians. We don't focus yeah, on the, the actors. So we have to find like what in God's name is going on here because the cra- we're not New York crazy, but we have our levels of no. madness too that goes on. So it was oh my gosh. Random. Okay, let me tell you one more thing. This week, actually, this week, um, I took Hendrix to my son to play like in our back area there's lots of hills it's really beautiful and anyways he was in like a his red cart so he wanted to get out so I, I took him out and as a kid he's like taking his time and struggling and I can see there's somebody walking behind me mm-hmm. so I moved over so that the person could pass me and he was in a mask <clears throat> excuse me and as he was walking by like I kind of like moved over and he goes to me, he says to me, I'm trying to get by. And I said, yeah, go ahead. Like, I'm fixing my son. So go ahead. And he go- yells at me and he says, six fucking feet. And then he serious? walks away. And I was like, so stunned and shocked. Yeah, he says, like, he swears and yells at me. And it's it's because of my son. It's because of Hendrix that... Um, I'm taking that long, but at the same time, there's all this space you can walk around. You don't have to literally walk right beside me to get by me. Um, and then when he got to the door, he was like mumbling under his breath, cursing me out. And so I said to him, you know, I, I'm not, I wasn't trying to be confrontational because you never know with people, but I said to him, like, who, like, who do you think you're talking to like that? You know, and then he walked inside. But anyways, he lives in this area. He lives, I just, I've never, I was like, man, people are just going crazy and losing their shit because basically he's blaming like a two-year-old. Like so. people have become so, in- it's surprising that there, there are people who have become very sensitive and very caring and there's people who are just being cruel. Like it's showing two mm-hmm. sides of people, the people who are like being empathetic and the people who are just like, you know what, the whole world, it's everybody's fault but my own. And they don't yeah. want to understand. Yes, it's six feet apart, but there are people who have people, young people who don't move as fast. Hendrix doesn't understand six feet. He doesn't understand this guy yeah. waiting to pass by. He's just being a child. He's a toddler. He's- and the guy was behind me. So I was just like, listen, you have so much room. Like you don't Ooh. literally have to walk in the path that we are walking. But there it should be have- walk on. Don't. Oh, no, there was. It was literally like if you're walking on like a pathway and on both sides is like a field, a field, it's greenery. So you can, you don't literally have to be behind me to get by me. But it shook me up so much because I haven't experienced any sort of like craziness during this COVID time. And and, and then it sucks that it's somebody that lives, you know, within close proximity. But I'm not conf- confrontational, but if I see him again, I definitely, about, you know, like, if he does say something to me. Sometimes I had to say, no, sorry, I had to say to myself. Go ahead. 
I don't know why. I think it's delaying. But I had to say to myself, you know what? Maybe he has like, like he, there's some mental issues there because for him to basically scream at me with a kid, seeing that it's my kid that's holding us up, kind of thing. Like you can't be, you can't have everything up there. It's not. It's not. So, mental. It's, that's it's pretty disappointing. But that's what it is. Yeah. It's annoying. I was so disappointed. But um, before we get to our sort of semi-spitfire interview with each other, why don't we take a real quick break and then we will jump back on and everybody will get to know us a little bit better with our questions. So don't go anywhere. Niki pekenya pekenya nisi waini chelewe Kikuchu mundo mwami Tachi tachi kiononi Na tekenya tekenya na kufanya ulewe Uyo masicha kale posa Sorry my contemplates on that And baby better write for me And show me that you're mine I'ma go downtown for ya Show me like it, me kupa mama, and butchutama, come in asama, nipu Hey guys, welcome back. So we're about to just go into this question time. Um it's weird to be the ones like asking talking asking each other questions, but I think it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be cool. Yeah. We'll probably like learn something new about each other, right? Yes. I think so. So I'm going to start with you, Nicole. Right. Nicole, so why don't you tell me, where were you born? Um, so I was born <clears throat> in Cape Town, South Africa. Where were you born? Oh, I was born in Toronto, Canada, right here in the city. <laughs> <laughs> were, you actually, were you actually born like in Toronto, downtown Toronto? Or? I was born at St. Joe's Hospital at Roncesvalles. Or Roncesvalles. Wow. Yeah, St. And that's, that's And that's like the hospital you still go to. to I still, that's where I go to see my, my gynae. Yeah, it's, it's so wow. weird. I had my um, myomectomy, which is removal of my removal of my fibroids there as well. Um, so it was very it's, it's very interesting that where I was born is where I removed my fibroids, and most likely, if I my doctor doesn't retire before I give birth, I will most likely give birth at six years. I love that. That's so yeah. cool. I wish I had that kind of consistency with you know, like, like with a doctor, but it was doctor's pretty dope now. But it's just by chance, like I got referred to him. And he just happens to be at St. Joe's, but he is the most amazing gynecologist. Like, we don't even talk about my vag health, we go in and (laughs) so who's the guy you're talking to right now? Like, he gives the best advice. And he's always gives the best tea and whatever. So I love it. But I know I I have to, um, I need a new one. So I, I know I, I took up his information and yes, once him. this He's COVID stuff is done, I'm definitely going to yes, get in touch. Fast. Okay, so Nicole, you were born in Cape Town, South Africa. Did you live in Cape Town and or did you live in, where else did you live? So tell us, tell me and tell us a little bit about your life in South Africa before you transitioned to, to Canada. 
so the truth is I was quite young. And so um, a lot of it is the, the sort of a lot of the information I have about living in Cape Town, you know, is, vi- is, is somewhat vivid memories about it. However, a lot of it is really stories told to me because I was quite young when we left Mm-hmm. South Africa. Um, I want to say I was about seven or eight years old. So, you know, maybe when I was 20, I would remember more about what it was like being there. But at this age, honestly, it just keeps, I just like things have become more of a distant memory for me. Um, but I can tell you that we, um, it was my my whole family. So my mother, my father, and my three brothers, we were all born there in Cape Town. We lived in Cape Town. We didn't move any other, we moved moved to different parts of Cape Town, but we didn't move out of Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it took us a really long time to get accepted into Canada. So my parents applied to, to become citizens or permanent residents or whatever it was, landed residents back in the day. That's what it was called. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still called that, but it took a really long time. It literally took a decade, 10 oh. years before we were actually accepted um, to come to Canada. And unfortunately, the year that we were accepted is when my father passed away. So um, we, uh, you know, we moved without my father. And uh, I, you know, the one thing that always haunts me is that we were initially going to go to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And like, no disrespect to Halifax or Nova Scotia, but I just, I cannot imagine myself growing up in, in Nova Scotia. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so used to Toronto. So it's really hard for me to picture my family having to go there. Um, but so the truth is, like, I don't remember much. I really don't remember much about living in South Africa. My brothers have much more stories to tell. And and when my mother, so my mother has passed away too, but when my mother was alive, like, she's really the one that, that painted the picture for me of what it was like to live in in South Africa. So, so yeah, so unfortunately, I don't have too many memories. But I think I was telling you before, this is like a big reason why this podcast is really like a passion thing for me personally, because it's really rediscovering Mm -hmm. my roots, you know, and it's exciting, because it feels like I'm just relearning all these things, you know, about about my culture and stuff like that. But Um, So what about you? What was life like here in Toronto before you moved back to Ghana? Yeah, before you moved to Ghana. So like you, we were only in Toronto for till we were about two. Um, My dad got a job in Ottawa. So we transferred to Ottawa. So most of my um, early years were spent in Ottawa. And it was interesting because I... I left Canada around the same time you came in. I left seven going on eight. Um, so I was here until grade two. So I went to school in Ottawa. We lived in, um, I remember our house, that we lived on Baseline Road. And then we moved to Canada, which is like the burbs. And it was just really great. We were, my sister and I were brownies. So <laughs> my mom got us in involved in extracurricular activities so we we were swimming we had brownies we had all these different things we had friends we used to play with in our neighborhood we had we lived in such a great family oriented a lot of young families 
So all the kids that were there were um, my age and my sister and I's age. So we used to play around. We used to go for sleepovers. I remember we had a friend, I think her name was Amy. We slept over. And I remember my my best friend's name. Her name was Ariel. And she had long black hair and she lived like on the other side of our neighborhood complex whatever so yeah it was great I loved my teachers I had a teacher called Mrs. Kishwat she was my first grade teacher amazing woman I had another teacher called Madame Sir because I went to a French immersion school she wasn't so nice but <laughs> and <laughs> do you still do you still keep in touch with um your best friend like your childhood no, best friend when we left that was it I would be curious to I have a feeling she might be still in Ottawa. Most people who live in Ottawa never leave. So who knows? She might be still in Ottawa. Um, mm-hmm. I know my brother had a best friend called Angelo. He lived right next door to us. So they used to, his grandmother, they were Greek. So his, her grandmother used to mix, his grandmother used to mix spanakopitas. Like I had so mm, I many. Spanakopitas. Oh my gosh. gosh. I do. But then I didn't like it. But now as I've grown older, I, have a, I like it now. But mm. it was. So it was so we had a babysitter called Reagan and it was around the time that I think President Reagan was in power. So it was so weird that <laughs> it was Reagan and then there was, a, so it was cool. I really liked to took the bus to school. Um, we also had like, we're involved in the Ghanaian community there. So the kids, all the Ghanaian kids we used to hang out with, we called our cousins, which were our play cousins. Mm-hmm. So we would go to these Ghana association parties and we'll play together. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of great memories of Ottawa growing up and I have not so great memories because we were in a very white neighborhood. So my school, Kakra and I and another girl were the only black ones. So we had kids who obviously made some very racial comments. And so we would always feel we felt like the other and our hair wasn't as flowy and bouncy. We had, you know, natural hair. So mm-hmm. my sister and I would tie t-shirts around our heads just so we could pretend we had the white. Almost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We didn't, yeah. It was hard being a black kid in an all white neighborhood, but yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. I, that's pretty much my life in Ottawa. This it's all jumbled up, but it was a great, great experience sort of experience mm-hmm. um so, so yeah sorry your turn <laughs> so I, basically nicole so when did you you as you pretty i think you pretty much touched on it when you moved to canada so when exactly did you move like did i move so i want to say we moved um towards the end of the 80s so i want to say like 89 and we actually moved from South Africa to Montreal. So at the time, like when you look at now as an adult and something that's really interesting to me, it's super nerdy, but I really look, I'd like to look at like immigration trends. Mm-hmm. And at the time it was easier to get into places like Nova Scotia or Quebec. But if you get into Quebec, it's like the understanding that you have to go to a French school and so forth. And so that's what we did. We moved to Montreal, Quebec, um, the West Island to be exact. And so um, I went to a French 
school as well, which is funny. Like, is it funny all these similarities we have? Yeah, it's so weird. Um, But I went to a French school as well. And uh, I had some family that was already living here. And so we we lived with my aunt and uncle. Um, But, you know, we didn't, like, especially in Montreal, I, I did not know any other person that was South African. Nobody. So my experience was a lot different. One, because here I am, like, coming to a new country, but also not knowing the language. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But also because um, I, I for sure saw people that I thought looked like me and we looked like each other, but different cultures. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, it was very hard for me, I would say, because there was nobody that I really could relate to on like a cultural level, just because there was no South Africans, except for my cousins, except for my family members. Um, But at that age, like, you know, seven or eight years old, it's not really a concern. If I can find somebody that's specifically South African, it was just about like, can you make friends, et cetera. But um, the opposite, like we had the opposite experience where because there was no sort of like um you know when you like you said when you move to a country there's usually a community of a certain culture right so there was a community of of like a Ghanaian community whereas there was no South African community and it's it's very funny like South Africa is very I want to say with being very respectful to fellow South Africans because I have not been back in a really long time so I don't want to offend anybody but it's such a controversial country and it's like um it will never get away from that just because of the history of like apartheid and and what the government categorizes you as and things like that and that's like deeply ingrained in you so it's like when you come to a new country you come believing that you are this kind of person or race or ethnicity so anyways long story short it was just really hard to identify because there wasn't a community of like South African people, but, um, but we lived in Montreal for a couple of years um, because my aunt lived there. Um, and that was sort of the, the pathway that most people immigrated to from South Africa to, to Montreal or to Toronto. A lot of people moved to Australia and the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then, yeah, so I want to say like late, late 80s. And then we, then we moved to Toronto. And then we stayed here. But then I moved back as an adult. But, you know, it's weird. Like, again, I think it's also, it's less to do with cultural and more to do with like familial situation because my father had passed away. My mother was, you know, a single mother raising four kids. And so we didn't have time for like all the, my mom didn't have time for all the extracurricular activities that like I so wished for. Like I remember a friend of mine, she was in like jazz dancing. I don't know if that's still a thing, but you know those pictures, like people used to have these pictures of when they're young kids in like a leotard. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to do that kind of stuff, you know, but I never had the opportunity. Like I did not have an extracurricular activity until I was in high school. Mm-hmm. so it was really more so based on circumstance as opposed to like a cultural thing I don't even think my mom had it in her to even think about that like the capacity because she had to raise four kids That's on her scary. own so the experience is yeah it, it really was you know and you don't realize it once you're in it 
as a young person, but as an adult, you're just like, I'm trying to survive with one child and I have help. I have a partner. <laughs> I don't know how my mom did it with four kids, but um, Montreal was the reason why we went to Montreal, just because it was easier to get into and we had family there. But it was really hard with the French language thing. So, um, so eventually we did move to we moved uh, to Toronto, specifically like, not, not Toronto, Mississauga to be exact, because that's where majority of our family lives. So, so, so yeah. I can't even imagine because here she had plans with her dad. They're going to relocate to Canada with their family and it didn't happen. I'm sure even grieving him, you know, yeah. and but having to be in survival mode coming to Canada and like, yes, you have family and everything, but it's not the same. Like you still have four young kids who need to, are also grieving in their own way and acclimatizing to a new normal, you know, yeah. and having to just make life, make life. And it's hard. It's not, it's not an easy feat. So kudos to your mom. God bless her soul where she is. And mm -hmm. she's definitely epitome of strength because a lot of us now, I guess it's being a mother is a gift. I swear it is. It's oh. who, can, who can be mothers. No, a hundred percent. And it's, it's so funny. Like I keep saying when I was younger, I never, it's like not to say that I never I, I've always respected it but you never really appreciate it until you're an adult I won't even say until you're a mother it's just until you're an adult and you just realize all your responsibilities and these kinds of things but I do have to say that like growing up I was really I, I really felt like I was missing something because I used to see people who come from like very strong cultural backgrounds mm -hmm. and like having community it was it's 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 definitely a way to make you feel like you belong right, right. so um it's definitely i think it, it has affected me as an adult growing up now but you know like i can reflect on it now and 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 see how i want to make it different for example for my son but like you know the way you talk about having like you went to like parties with your um with the Ghanaian like association and community and all that that's like you know I grew up with people I grew up with a lot of Latin people um and you know I used to hang out with like their family parties and their big events and stuff like that but I can say that's something I always wished for and yearned for and and like again i'm not living in south africa i haven't been there for a long time but i don't know and again because there's not like large communities of south africans here in toronto mm -hmm. the culture itself like i don't find it to be a very strong overwhelming culture like Ghanaians, like nigerians. nigerians right yeah like it's not as you know, I just feel like, especially those two African countries are super proud of yeah. who they are and that kind of stuff. So I've, I've definitely been envious of them. Even trying to, the other day, I think we were talking, it was when you posted the bunny chow and yeah. I was like, I need to, I think I mentioned to you that I'm craving South African food and I told you about how I love pap. So I go online to look up South African restaurants and all I could find was one restaurant called Plan B, which is basically yeah. a burger joint, which serves 
bratwurst um south african yeah it's like um barbecue yeah exactly barbecue and i'm like where can i go to get south african food and even afrofest a few years ago i mean the pictures when we i bumped into you at afrofest when hendrix was this tiny little person and Mm -hmm. you came with kwame there was i think you were able to find one south african stall yeah and 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 um and it's the same like it always i don't know if it's like you know when they create these kind of like food pop-up joints it's about what's really popular but like pap is pretty popular which is is a staple of it right yeah it's a staple food but it was more like budavos well we're gonna have that question later on every time i've been to south africa i've always that's where i've had the best steaks and had with a side of like pumpkin pumpkin or with spin um creamy spinach oh gosh my mouth is watering thinking about that restaurant lord <laughs> jesus i did why is it that we have cro- i was due for south africa in september but, thanks <laughs> yeah. for uh, but all of those like it's so lovely and then the pa- i used i we stayed with some south africans um when we went and they served pap with their chicken which they boil and then was with brown gravy like <sighs> and we, okay, you can yeah. get that here in Toronto and I don't know much of about a South African community I've met you introduced me to our dear friend who is Ugandan but came from South African South Africa yeah. and I recently met made a friend who is Nigerian but just came in from South Africa I'm meeting people who and the only South African that I know outside of you here in Toronto is the community manager at my workplace yeah. a strong south african accent but you don't hear of and she's white south african but yeah. you don't hear of south africans a community or a south african party or a south african group you, you go to offices you don't i hardly run into wherever i work i've never worked with myself you are literally my only connection to south africa aside from the residents of south africa but not necessarily yeah that you know yeah you're not south africa yeah it's 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 well like it's funny because you know south africa has they celebrate their independence day or we celebrate the independence day here in toronto um and i remember like we used to go years every year we used to go to these and it always used to be at um nathan phillips square mm-hmm. but and i'd be so impressed because i'd be like you know here's the thing though well, South Africans, oftentimes you just can't tell that they're from South Africa. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, like, I guess that's sort of the last question. So I won't get into mm-hmm. a lot about that. But it's like, for sure, I could be crossing, passing people every day and they could be South African and I'd never know. Um, just because South Africans, the look of a South African is so diverse and, you know, it's it's just hard to tell. I've in all my in all my life my whole life i've nobody's ever said to me oh yeah you're are you south african like never 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 you know the most i've ever got is like are you latina are you everything but south africa when i used to live in montreal it was like i mean people used to say like are you moroccan are you tunisian but never has anybody said like right off the bat hey you're south african so I was really impressed with all the amount of South Africans that actually live here in Toronto. And I know a lot of people, a lot of South Africans live in Oakville and Richmond Hill, mm-hmm. but 
aside from my own family, like, I don't really, I don't have like a crew of South African friends here, <laughs> you know? So, but I think we're, I'm sort of getting off topic there. I don't even remember what the question was. It was, uh, to be honest. It was, um, oh, uh, when we first came. We first um, well, let's switch it to you. So, you, you also kind of touched on it. When did you move? Um, when, actually, no. So, when did you move from Toronto or from Ottawa back to Ghana? I, I believe it was the 1st of June, 2000, um, 1990. I remember the date, 1st of June, 1990, that we moved to Ghana. Um, the reason why my parents moved, well, my, we moved first with my mom. She had to go settle. My dad had to sell our house and um, organize everything. So he didn't come until November of 1990. But we moved ahead because my parents believed that they wanted us to get to know where we, we were from, learn the language. Like my parents would speak, we'll speak the language at home, in, at home but we, we, Kakra and I were, we understood it, including Kweku. The three of us understood, but we were not very, well, Kweku, not so much. He was a, he was a baby. He was about three. Um, we understood, but we couldn't speak. But they wanted us to know our family. They wanted us to settle in Ghana. They wanted us to have that connection to home. There's a different type of um, upbringing you get in Ghana uh, as opposed to this part of the world. Um, You know, and my dad also got a a job back home. So it just made sense for us to move. So, um, yeah, 1st of June, 1990. we I think we left before we even the the semester ended in school, so we literally were pulled out of school and we moved and it was it was eye opening to say the least. Um, it, I guess because when we moved, we went moved straight to go live with my grandmother, my mom's mom, and her house, massive three bedroom house, but it was my back then. My grandmother's house was filled with people like it was a family house and the other day I was like I want to live like that one day like have a house with so nice it's so nice like it was always even though we were like my sister and my brother and I were the kids but there was another kid there were two kids in the house who were um my grandmother was helping to raise so they taught us how to speak the language they taught us ways of you know kids behavior so we were able to integrate really great and my cousins i have gosh so many cousins Mm -hmm. they were my first friends so birthday parties everything was so involved and so um it was easy until it was time to go to school (laughs) that's when okay we're we're definitely not in kansas anymore we're definitely not in (laughs) (laughs) anymore um (laughs) But it was definitely, we were young, so it was easy. Like, back then, too, there was no sit-down discussion where, where your parents were like, so we are deciding to move to Ghana. You wake up, your bags are packed. They're like, you're getting on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no chance to say goodbye to friends. There was no chance to, like, cry about, oh, my gosh, I'm leaving. Why do we, I hate you guys. No, <laughs> we were literally yeah. carted to the airport and put on the plane <laughs> no decision making whatsoever so we the next week we woke up and we were literally we were in canada 
Ghana. I was just like, and in Ghana, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. So <laughs> looking back, I'm like, gosh, damn, like no wonder I'm in therapy. <laughs> There's so many things that parents nowadays like they're just you know you sit down with your kids they're part of the decision process yeah exactly the beauty about African parents if we're paying your bills we're feeding you we're putting clothes (laughs) on you there's the only decision you have is to there's no decision actually you don't even have a choice they tell you what to do and you do it (laughs) exactly um yeah we definitely didn't have a choice in that matter we just <laughs> that was the, yeah that's when we moved 19 1990 i think we moved um actually this is a good like segue to the next question but i think we moved in january so we were we moved in january in quebec yeah oh my so gosh. it was it was like that's one thing i definitely remember i actually remember um in the airport sitting on suitcases and uh my brother or my mother like pushing us pushing me on the suitcase and i just remember it was like frigid the cold was just crazy freezing and for those of you who haven't lived in like well, i wouldn't even say it's the east coast of canada it's not it's quebec ottawa those places it's a different type of cold like it's not like Ontario cold. It's not like Ottawa and Toronto cold. It's not like BC or it's a different kind of cold. And when you walk, especially if you're coming from a hot climate and you leave your ha- the airport, that wind that it cuts into your body, like it feels like dagger yeah. going into your body and you just feel, I don't care if you're wearing 200 layers that cold will penetrate you if you've lived in those parts. I can't speak on Alberta. It definitely, places, but it goes through your bones, right? Mm-hmm. Montreal too is like a different kind of cold because, you know, it's considered an island. So it's surrounded by water. It's freezing. It's just it freezing, freezing cold. It's when we lived in Ottawa, every time we would, when, I mean, when we came not to jump ahead, but we it's would always fly KLM like when we mm-hmm, come to Ghana for the holidays, this was like university days. Um, so KLM doesn't fly to Ottawa. It would fly to Montreal. So we'll take an Ottawa bus. There's a KLM bus from Ottawa to Montreal. And so every time we would come back from Ghana and we're like in summer, because it's, win- it's winter when we come back and we're in like light jackets you know we didn't want to carry our heavy jackets because we're about to just be on a bus for two hours and when we get to ottawa we'll take a taxi home and every time it's as if we forget that we're going into like we forget what the cold is like and we get out of the airport to get on that bus and it's the icy cold hand of montreal just end up you and saying welcome back and that you you just immediately forget that you were just in 30 plus weather <laughs> yeah it reminds you quick where you're back to yeah so, um, definitely with you. yeah it, it's uh it it completely just goes through your bones i found like i found new york city to be like that too it's just kind of like this wet this wet kind of cold and um 
it just goes through your soul, to be oh, honest. It does. <laughs> so since you moved in December, in January, you, so this is a perfect time to ask you, coming from beautiful Cape Town, which I, by the way, I was supposed to go in September. Thank you again, Corona. Um, <laughs> where you have the beautiful tabletop mountains, you have the sea, you have sand, beautiful weather, and you land in Canada, in Montreal, in January, the one of the yes. months of the year. What was your first experience? How did you react to seeing that white powder crap I have dislike? <laughs> How was your first reaction to it as a kid? If you even knew what snow was at the time. Yeah, I actually didn't. I was just going to say, I didn't actually know that, like, that snow existed. Mm-hmm. So um, to me, it was just like, it was this crazy, it was like a, this weird, I don't, I don't even know, but I just remember how cold it was. I definitely remember how cold it was. Um, but I have to say, like, when you're a kid at that age, you just, you enjoy it, you know? So I, I really enjoyed the snow um I don't think I've ever really gotten used to I think when you come from like a hot country mm-hmm. I don't think you ever are like really acclimatized to the frigid winter and stuff like that so for me it was just like it was it was a lot of fun and it was um it was really new I mean I have a lot of pictures of me in the snow actually as a kid so um so I'm gonna say that it was it was a pretty exciting thing to see snow because you know, all, all we knew was beaches yeah. <laughs> back home. So, so what about you? So you're the opposite. So you, I mean, you were still pretty young when you, when you left I was, Ottawa to yeah, Ghana. I, so. I was really young. I was really young. So, um, I mean, snow was great. We loved it. We loved playing and building snowmen and sandcastles and doing the snow angels. That was great. But moving to Ghana, and I don't remember what it was like having to deal with the heat. I don't think it was even that hot back then. It's a different, like, <laughs> global warming has really made things bad. But it wasn't, I think we acclimatized quite quickly because we were young. So this was our new environment. Have it sucked? during the winter or Christmas because we were so used to, you know, snow at Christmas and Santa Claus. <laughs> I remember um, my first, ex- <laughs> oh my gosh. So there was this once upon a time, this shopping department store in Ghana that is defunct now called the Kingsway. And at Christmas, during Christmas time, our school took us to the Kingsway to visit Father Christmas. We used to call him Father Christmas, not Santa Claus. Yeah, us, us too, Father Christmas. That's Father so Christmas, funny. which is a very British influence because obviously mm-hmm. we were colonized by those people. But um, so we had to go and see Father Christmas, which was very um, weird because like, we're like, who is Father Christmas? We, we're, we're like, where is Santa Claus? Like we had, you know, the Canadian accent kids, you know, we know what, what is Father Christmas? <laughs> we go there, we had, they had, oh, they had the nerve to have this scrawny looking black, like dark chocolate man in this oversized Christmas suit. Didn't even give him a pot belly to make us feel like he was, he was the scariest looking 
Santa Claus I had ever met in my life. It was so depressing as a child. I think that's when it dawned on me that we're not in Canada anymore. We are definitely in Ghana. And our Christmas wasn't the same. Like he's in the suit, in the heat. Um, He didn't look like the Santa. We grew up with the rosy cheek guy with the big belly, (laughs) white beard. And here we have this scrawny, hungry man, dark skin, with no pot belly, standing there giving us gifts. And he just looked like frightening. And it was, that's when we realized that, yeah, we definitely were not, we're not, this is our new reality. So. Yeah. It's interesting though, like how you're, how you get used to, that's, you know, how you, you get socially conditioned to believe like, you know, because if you, if it was the other way around, you would have been like, who is this big bellied white man? You know what I mean? So it's funny how that becomes like a thing, but we are also called, um, yes, father, father Christmas. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's so funny. That's really interesting. I could just imagine your face like, who the hell is this? It, It was, it was like a shock to the system. Because first of all, we're not getting snow. <laughs> you know, it's hot, sunny, you know, we're not dressing up in stockings and those pretty plaid dresses with you know yeah, yeah, yeah. the top part is the velvety and then you have these big poofy plaid dresses and the white stockings, which was a staple with the white Mary Jane's shiny Patterson shoes, and now you're wearing <laughs> you know it was it was a different it was a different it was definitely um an experience and you know one thing my mom did which um my mom cousin Ghana well back then I can't speak on now but a lot of the kids girls cut their hair to go to school so um my mom my sister and I we had you know long hair so when we moved to Ghana my mom was like girls you guys need to cut your hair to go to school now, mind you, the reason why she was cutting our hair was because she was fed up with having to do our hair every single day. <laughs> so she blindsided us. So we were excited. Oh, my gosh, we wanted to fit in with all the kids in my school. Like, everybody's going to have short hair. Child, the next day, when we, the first day of school, we get there, and my sister and I were the only ones with short hair. We're to a private Catholic school. You know, so most yeah. of the kids are coming from homes where there's, you know, people to do these things for. We were still living at my grandmother's house. You know, there was no help per se. We were the help. So my mom didn't have time to do all these things. So it was such a shock to the system. And it was hard to believe that, oh, these kids came from Canada. I think our saving grace was we sounded like we came from Canada. And yeah. we Flintstone vitamins that we will take to every day. So we would hold on to it and put it in our mouths when we get to school so people would see our Flintstones. So to this day, people still remember my sister and I for having those Flintstone vitamins. That is so funny. Look how, you, look, how you, look how you used to um, floss. You used to be like, yeah, look, look at our Flintstone vitamins. Yeah, okay. It's like, what is God's name? That is hilarious. That foolishness. But yeah, but we had short hair. So that was definitely, it was a, definitely an experience. But um, That's really cute. 
I think That's we cute. can, um, we have a lot more to interview, lots of memories. Um, so, but let's take a break. Let's take a short break. Let's refill our glasses and yes. we'll be back with more anecdotes of our childhood. <laughs> Hey guys, I hope you refilled your glasses. We're gonna continue with our little interview session. I'm, I'm enjoying it because it's taking memories I haven't even thought about a long time for a while. It's, coming to the surface so it's definitely fun going down that memory lane so having said that nicole you are you are new to canada and you've you've lived in canada for over 30 something years now um we were talking about how difficult it it is to get south african food so are you yes what kinds of foods did you grow up on living in south africa and do you still cook you have do you make any south african foods are you able to get any or what's up with that yeah so you know what we grew up like my mother did a lot of um the cooking that sort of like she did and that we grew up on was a lot of curries like we had a lot of like curry chicken um for the most part and and mutton or lamb but majority of it was like like um curries and roti um and we like you know every easter we would have things like pickle fish which is a very it's very south african around easter time kind of thing but i would say predominantly it was like we grew up on a lot of curry and so do I cook it to this day? Like, not really, you know, I don't, it's not like, I think I'm so, I'm so westernized, right, that I don't, we don't really, um, like, if I do want it, I just go buy it, to be honest, like, it's not like, it's not like I can't cook it, Um, but yeah, it's, it's just weird. I think I've been in Canada so long, and I feel like we're really spoiled with the amount of, like, diversity of, of, the different kinds of foods that we can get mm-hmm. so it's not something <clears throat> it's not something that um the other thing too is like i actually don't eat a lot of rice anymore mm-hmm. the ironic thing is today i actually do have curry chicken and roti waiting for me after this podcast <laughs> but i definitely didn't i didn't <laughs> i definitely didn't cook that myself um 
but yeah, I mean, that was really like a lot of the things that my mom cooked. She cooked things like um, there's another South African dish called like uh, baboti, and that's yes. really kind of you know it's kind of like a meatloaf, a curried meatloaf with egg in it and stuff like that. And um, but I do have to say, like a lot of the the dishes that we grew up on were very like English. You know what I'm saying? It's very, you know, it's it was colonized by the Dutch and the the British, but you can really see the influence in the kinds of foods that we eat. But we also, my mom used to cook biryani, you know, which like I don't think that's a South African dish, but it's very popular because there's a huge population of Cape Malays and Indian people within South Africa, so it's like a whole bunch of different influences in our food. Um, but curry was definitely a big one. Fish was another thing that I grew up on a lot um but it's not like I yearn for that or I crave it it's more of like uh if I'm in the area so for example you said that plan b restaurant and my cousin actually just told me about it but I mean it, again it's like it's budavos sausage and it's not like I'm craving that all the time but if I'm in the area and it's usually like downtown that place is in Atoko I will go get it but um, I definitely don't go out of my way to cook um, those kinds of foods. But as again, like, you know, this podcast has, has made me really like dig deep and think about these things. And I think about my son, Hendrix, like I obviously want him to know that side of his culture. So I always think like I'd, I'd like to get more into cooking things mm-hmm. um, that are, you know, that come from South Africa. But um, the other thing, too, is like... Um, I was saying I don't eat a lot of rice anymore for health reasons. I'm not, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me. And so I feel like a lot of things that I grew up with culturally, it doesn't, um, it wasn't necessarily the healthiest or sometimes you just like, you just eat it because you're accustomed to it because it's, it's a, it's a part of your culture. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I feel like I've been in Canada so long that, it's not like my go-to kind of food, you know, but I'm, I'm willing and interested to, to get to know more of the, the sort of foods that, but even in South Africa, it's not like, like when I see my cousins and talk to my cousins, it's not like they're constantly making South African food either. You know, it's like people eat pizzas and, you know, it's not like we're, we're stuck to cooking mm-hmm. our, our food from our country, but but yeah, so that's a long-winded answer. But what about you? Like, what did you grow up on? And do you still so kind of... we grew up on like my mom, like we yeah, Ghanaian food, of course. It was a staple in our home. But then yeah, like we'll you know, sometimes my mom would have us have chips and chicken, or we'll buy a burger or make a pizza or whatever. But um mostly it was Ghanaian food. Um but yeah, and then, you know, my mom was very, she loves making an Irish stew. Gosh, she loves <laughs> Irish stews. And yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> she loves a good casserole, throws in all the, the and I don't. <laughs> so those were the, like, she'll steer off. But she, my mom, she's like, Ghanaian food is always there. So she loves to make other dishes as well. So mm-hmm. we had a um, combination of those different dishes. We still make Ghanaian food. I love my, I'm not going to lie. I love Ghanaian food. I love fufu. Mm-hmm. So any chance I get to make soup, I, if I'm making soup, there's, it's going with fufu. I cannot eat soup on its own. 
Like, um, mm-hmm. some people can't, I just can't. Like, I'll, maybe I'll do like a light soup on its own, depending, but if there's fufu in my house, I'm making fufu. Um, yeah. I love jollof rice. We make it every time we get the chance. I think we eat jollof. A lot of time when we have like leftover stews and stuff, we'll throw it in, make it into a jollof rice or whatever. Um, we ha- we found this lady here in Toronto who caters Ghanaian food. So my dad loves my dad loves loves Ghanaian food. So with him being here, we're cook- we're having it a lot more than we would if he wasn't. So we got this lady who's catering Ghanaian food for us because now we know we're, my sister and I are working from home and. If you know Ghanaian food, it's not a simple, like, two-minute process. It takes yeah. time, you know. So it's easier for her to, um, as much as we were home now, but we're also working from home. So orchestrating these dishes is just difficult. So we just have this lady make it for us. But, yeah, I still do. I love it. Um, every time I'm in Ghana, I, I, like, I cra- I, like, I can't, like, we get excited about going to Ghana for all the foods. You know? Oh my gosh, I can imagine. You know, I've never had Ghanaian food un- except jollof rice. Yeah, oh, it's really, I like anybody who's had Ghanaian food, you fall in love with it. You do. So mm. I love Ghanaian food. I get excited going to Ghana to Ghanaian food. But then like after a week or two, I'm like, oh, damn, I could do with the burger. Damn, I miss mac and cheese. Because <laughs> I, if you, I am a mac and cheese fiend. Like I can, I can yeah. all the dishes in the world. I can eat mac and cheese literally every single day of my life till I die. I love that. Really, I, I am, I am obsessed with mac and cheese. <laughs> so, as much as I love my Ghanaian food, I am sorry, but mac and cheese takes the cake. I think if I my the man I end up with. <laughs> If he kisses, this is a, a my takes a little, cake. That's like your go-to. Yeah, so um, I'm giving a little tip out here to the men. So any man who's listening, who's interested in dating me, or marrying me, or whatever, um, you can win me over with mac and cheese. This is a tip to the men out there. Any guy who's currently interested in me, wants to date me, is in love with me, and you're not sure about you're trying to ask me out or trying to show some interest. You got me at mac and cheese. Not the box, got no craft. No craft <laughs> mac and cheese. I mean, the one you make from scratch, you know, with, and let there be a lot of cheese in there. You, you've got me. And I mean, good mac and cheese. Seasoned mac, not that whack. Nah. Those southern old ladies mac and cheese. <laughs> you know what I have? I have to say, I think I make a I make a quite good mac and cheese. Sometimes yes, I've had yours. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you know, I'm like, I'm not a huge, huge mac and cheese fan, but um, yeah, man, that's it's definitely like, you know, what I, it makes me think about. It makes me think about the like the food festivals that we were going yes. to in the summer. You know, yes. that we're not going to be going to this <laughs> summer, but. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Although I went to Mac and Cheese Festival last year and it was expensive. Yeah. It was. So I couldn't really, um, I didn't stay to get anything. But yeah, like I am, like anybody who knows me knows how much I love Mac and Cheese. And I think I'm, I make a pretty good darn Mac and Cheese. I think I do. I think I do. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that's um pretty much about <laughs> food. <laughs> so um yeah, but I do I do love Ghanaian food. I'm not gonna lie, love it, love it, love it. Um but um talking about um food and parents, how is upbringing like for you? Did you was you, I mean, before your father passed and with your mom, were they strict kind of parents or how, how was, what, first of all, what did they do for work and what kind of parents were they? Were they strict? Were they easygoing? Were they just, so my, um, my mother actually was just really in like, uh, as far as her profession goes, she was really just into like uh, administrative. She was a secretary. She just worked for various um companies as a secretary and she did shorthand and all this kind of stuff i always laugh because i have her shorthand books and stuff like that but my dad was uh, an electrician so my parents were just you know like blue collar workers hard-working um hard-working people but were they strict growing up so unfortunately you know i didn't really get to experience what it was like to with my father um Mm -hmm. just because i was so young when he passed away he was fairly young he was only 39 so i um yeah so he was really young like that that's kind of weird when you think about it when you're younger and and you say 39 you think that's like so far away but when you're in your 30s and you're like damn 39 is so young right but um so i didn't i didn't really get to experience that kind of relationship with my father but my brothers you know he was pretty strict with with my brothers but with my mother because again she was like you know single mother raising four kids mm-hmm. I don't think it's not to say that she wasn't strict but she had a lot on her plate you know so my brothers definitely got into trouble um and with me being the only girl she was definitely a lot more stricter with me especially as a teenager in Canada where I was just super rebellious and you know what I mean um because she was somebody who was raising four kids on her own she had to she had to have more than one job and so it's not like I was this crazy wild teenager I got a job very like I think I was like 14 years old when I got my first job wow that's early yeah so girl I've been working I've been working for a really long time um and so, yeah, so I was like 14. I, I started working at Licks. Do you remember that restaurant? Yes, yes. yes. Still, is it still around? I think, yes. I know there's there's a few, but I don't know, like, there's so much competition nowadays. I, mm. I couldn't, I think. But anyways, I mean, I had a, a, a job fairly young as a teenager. So it wasn't to say that my mother wasn't strict necessarily, but she wasn't, she just didn't have the time, you mm. know, like, we had to really govern ourselves and make really smart decisions, but we all grew up pretty okay. So um, they did a good job and we didn't, you know, we did, we actually did not turn out as like a statistic would have us turn out. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I think it was really hard for my mother, you know, coming to Canada um, with four kids and having to do that all on her own but she did a good job. So, but what about you? How, uh, how are your parents? And actually what, what do your parents do? Um, so their line of work and then were they strict with you? My dad 
is a chartered accountant and management consultant. And my mom worked as an HR um, manager. And then because my dad's job was extremely demanding and he was always traveling. So my mom felt that it was, she had to like give up her job. Cause she said, I, we were, we were, we were, we had like help at home. We had, um, house help or housekeepers so she's like I don't want my kids being raised by the help because of the influence they might have on us so she decided to give up her job and to be a stay-at-home mom but my mom was very enterprising she would she opened a little corner store in our in our front yard she was always (laughs) hustling some way somehow she still is hustling like you tell her that, oh, money, like, you know, I'm thinking of baking. Oh, let's turn it into a business, you know? <laughs> like, that's who she is. Um, so I wouldn't say my parents were strict. They were very protective, I think yeah. that's the word. They were very protective of us. So it then, back then, we saw it as strict, you know? And we also had, back being in Ghana was you're not just being raised by your parents, you're raised by family. So my grandmother was very influential, both grandmothers actually, but more so my mom's mother was very influential in our lives. So there were so many things that we couldn't get away with. So they were very protective of us. So, um, and my mom also wanted to, she was raising daughters as well. Like my brother, not so much, but raising daughters. So we were taught to cook, clean, do those things. Like we had help, but she's like, you don't pay them. I do. So you do this and you do that. Um, so it was, uh, it was pretty um, interesting. Now I'm grateful for, for all of that. Now being an adult, I think we turned out okay. Um, <laughs> I, I blame my grandmother because we're still single because she's very anti-boys. Uh, <laughs> like whenever she had to babysit us because my parents were out of the country or something. And, and we were, I mean, teenagers at the time. My grandmother, if a guy called the house, don't you dare call this house again. Don't you dare do this and do that. And we're like, geez, Louise. If she found out that a guy liked you, it's like, no, why do you want to like, you know, so I blame her that she made her soul rest in peace, but you're the reason why we're still single. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but they were, yeah, they were very, they were protective of us and they wanted to make sure we were, we went on the straight and narrow and yeah. So, um, that's pretty much my, ch- they gave us much freedom to an extent, so, but were we allowed to hit up parties like some of my friends were doing and go out to clubs? I didn't get to go to, to club till I moved to Canada again as a teenager. Um, so yeah, they were very protective in that sense. So that's pretty much my, um, basically my parents to say the least. Yes. But um, I think we can... We can take like a real quick break and just yeah. um, use the washroom and then come back. <laughs> so, so
you ever leave me so low Or disappoint me with this basic hold You make my mind go loco loco Utawapa mi semu wa noko noko And you better tell them that you're mine Better be my ride or die Kabla ya kuika jogo Hey guys, welcome back. Um, we're gonna. I know we've been sitting here for a bit, and you guys, I'm sure, are ready to <laughs> shut down or whatever. So we're just gonna quickly just go back into it. Um, Nicole, what are? Do you have any or? Uh, do you have any cultural expectations or what can I say? What were your parents' thoughts on? marriage especially for you or for your brothers you know again it was like so i always think about this because you know my mother i, I don't want to constantly sound like a sob story so i apologize if i do but you know my mother she never she never got an opportunity um you know to meet my son my brothers were fortunate enough to for example she was able to obviously go to each of their weddings. I have three brothers, they're all married. So she was able to meet their kids. And unfortunately, you know, my mom, um, she wasn't able to meet my son, but ironically she did meet Kwame because, not in our current situation, but because we dated so long ago when we were, when I was like 20. So she met him briefly there, but my mom honestly was so, flexible and she had no she did not put any pressure on me to get married mm-hmm. um what she did say to me when she was alive was that she wants me to take my time be thorough and um, really think about who I'm going to be settling down with mm-hmm. um, but she never she never put the pressure on me and so it's it's funny because I get the question I'm, I'm not married you know but we're in a common law partnership and um marriage has never been like a huge thing for me it's never been something where i feel like i have to get married i've never been a girl to like think about and this is this is very stereotypical so it's you know it's not everybody thinks this way just because you're a woman but it's like i've never been the type of person to think about what my wedding day is going to look like etc etc Um, And I definitely don't knock anybody who does think like that, but it's just never been something that I have been dying to do. What I have wanted more though was a child. So I remember, you know, when my mom was healthy and well, and it wasn't like a question I asked her on her deathbed, but I said to her, would you care if I didn't get married, but I had a child? And she said, she, she was like, for sure, just, you have to do what's going to make you happy mm-hmm. um, and don't just settle. And, and so I really appreciated about that about my mother because, you know, she just, she let me just be, mm-hmm. you know, and I feel like I made the right decision um, in my life. And um, so, yeah, she wasn't too hard on me about that, but she was definitely super proud of my brothers for getting married and finding mm-hmm. like, you know, good women and having beautiful children and all that kind of stuff. It's not to say that she said, don't get married, Mm -hmm. but she always, she always just made me feel good about my decision to not really focus on that or to not, um, for that not to lead my, my life. I was, I'm quite the, the person who like really, really focused on my career and my education and and marriage was just something I felt like, you know, if it ever happened, it happens. And if it did, 
ever happen it would be so small you know yeah um but but uh but yeah so what about like yeah what about you or your parents like you know are they you touched on about your how your grandmother felt yeah. about marriage and Easy. and dating but, but what about your parents my mom was my mom is is very big on us being married it's a it's a i think it's a west african thing or maybe it's an african thing that there is pride in seeing your your children married it makes you especially when you have daughters and you marry them off it's like you raise them right they're marriage material so if your daughters especially your daughters are not married it's like what did you do wrong that your daughters haven't been able to be picked up um so living in, especially when I moved back to Ghana in my 20s, the pressure was on a lot because the more family and friends were getting married and my younger cousins were getting married and what's not, it was like, what are you doing? Why are you not? You're being fussy. You're being picky. Da, 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 da. So it's, there was a lot of pressure. Um, now, not so much, only because she's seen how some of my past relationships and how some of these men have hurt me in ways and how I've, I, and you know me, Nicole, like I've put myself out there multiple times. And for some reason, I just can't seem to keep them. So she's easing off on that, but her (laughs) pressure more so is like, just have kids and especially now, um, I'm going to be extremely transparent, um, suffering with an autoimmune disease, um, and also um, suffering with fibroids as well. I, I had fibroid surgery. I mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast, but my fibroids have grown back. Okay. Is The pressure is, she's like, don't just don't, don't wait to be married. Just have a child, have a child. And I have, I've been the one who's been a bit more disciplined in that. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to have a child outside of wedlock. I want to, but this quarantine has made me realize that, listen, life is too short. I'm not going to wait anymore. Like if I, if I meet someone, God willing, and you know, we're, we're both adults. And if children come before marriage, so be it. Um, cause I'm no spring chicken. I'm closer to 40 than I am 30. So she, and it, it doesn't help when your younger brother who never wanted to get married is married and is expecting his first child. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was that unnecessary pressure, but, but it's a cultural thing. It's, you know, especially if, if one of us was married, it's, I mean, in terms of my, between my sister and I, it would be a different story, but both of us are not married. But I believe that I, not because my mom wanted it, I've, o- I've always wanted to be married. It's mm-hmm. something I've thought, I've, I planned my wedding as a child. I'm that person <laughs> you were talking about. I, <laughs> I know what I want. And I mean, now as I get older, that changes. Times change. Now I'm just like, listen, we can just go to the courthouse. <clears throat> I'm not so fussed about a big elaborate wedding but I've always wanted to be a wife I've always wanted to be a mom that for me that is I think will be a not to say my career isn't important I've always wanted to be a boss lady a CEO and those things and I've ended up chasing education and all those things but 
I think my biggest accomplishment would be being a, a wife and a mom. And yeah. I think that would, I would be very disappointed if that didn't happen. I would learn to live with it, but I will be very disappointed if I didn't have that opportunity. So it is, I think I pray more about being a wife and a mom, even during this COVID time, than I pray about healing in my body. And that sounds stupid, but, um, or healing from this autoimmune disease. I pray more to be a, a wife and a mom. So that's, yeah, that's me. Um, I sound thirsty now, but no, not at all. I mean, it's, it's completely valid, like things to want in this life. It's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to be a wife and a mother for mm-hmm. sure. You know, and we're all different. We all have like, I, I think a lot of the reason for, you know, yearning of those, of those sorts is because of just personal experience. Right. And your like you said, your childhood cultural influences, like, um, if I look at other parts of my family, they're so different from me, you know, and I get, I used to get the pressure from my brothers who were like, you know, why wouldn't you get married? But it, it's just, I don't know. I, I do not know. I get, you know, it's so funny when you don't have, when you're not married, people ask you why you're not married. Mm-hmm. Um, when you don't have a kid, people ask you, you know, then you have a kid, then you get married. Then people are like, you know, are you going to have a second kid? It's like the questioning never stops. It never, but, uh, it's sensitive. You think, yeah. like, I know that me being a single woman and, um, I recently found out that you tend to, um, inherit your mom's menopausal cycle. My mom was menopausal at 36. Um, so being past that age and thankfully I'm not at that stage yet, but it's, it's scary. And so when people make it seem like you are being like, why are you still single? And you're, and I hate it when people tell me that, Oh, you're just so picky. You're just so, and I'm like, it's not pickiness. You know, when, when I've been open and allowed myself, I've been hurt. So I'm not being picky. I just haven't met somebody who wants to go down that journey with me. Unfortunately now, um, I'm not trying to be a sob story, but, um, I have shared in the past and even very, very recently with a guy about my autoimmune disease and, um, they went ghost. So, dealing with that too it's like it's a different beast how many people are willing to deal with someone who suffers from a condition that requires um constant medication and flare-ups and issues and some days you're not in the mood to do this you're not feeling well blah 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 it's a lot you know i don't have other things like uh, it's not like i'm coming in with a child or i'm coming in with a divorce i'm coming in with something that is a part of me 24 7 so um that's another thing that i have to deal with and people are so sometimes people are so insensitive about that they think you're the one who is not wanting to do this but what you put yourself out there and then you have you face these roadblocks so um yeah, that's the uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents are cool now. My but I think they're more concerned. Oh my gosh. Um, well, it, we've um, we've spoken a really long time. Yeah. And so, um, 
maybe we can end off with this really fun question, but, and I'll ask you first. So um, what do you feel is the best thing about being Ghanaian? Um, our jollof. And this goes out to all the Nigerians out there. <laughs> we have the best jollof rice in the world. Um, I think the best part of being Ghanaian is the fact that I come from the country that first gained independence in Africa. We are mineral rich. We have a great sense of humor. I mean, even during this COVID time, the number of jokes that have come out of it, our sense of humor is just great. Our hospitality is amazing. People always equate Ghana so positively, even globally, um, especially now our music, our culture, our hospitality, our food. Um, there was a, I'm definitely a proud Ghanaian. Back then, not so much, but now as an adult, um, I love being Ghanaian. I wouldn't trade any other nationality. I am, well, I'm Canadian too, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. But, <laughs> but I'm Ghanaian first before I am Canadian. What about you? <laughs> You're so funny. And one thing I have to say is, I really. I do have to try Nigerian jollof because I know it's like, like a, a, a few a duel and a feud between yeah, the two countries. So it's just I always see this, so I really have to try it. it they just, I just use, remember you. They use parboiled rice, so you're not missing nothing, girl. Just stick with them. <laughs> oh my gosh! I remember you made it for like Kendrick's birthday or something. I just know his your baby shower. Baby shower, yeah, and so it just like it was gone it was yeah. gone yeah. um the best thing about being south african so i'll say that this this thing that i think is the best thing used to be the thing that i hated the most mm -hmm. and that was like um you know south africa again it's this country that's got 11 official languages mm -hmm. and there's so many different cultural influences in the country and before i used to hate that about I used to hate that about being South African, that there was not like one specific sort of identity or cultural um, identity to relate to. But I actually really appreciate that now. I really do. And I think it's, you know, because I'm, again, I'm older now mm -hmm. um, and I'm just realizing what's important. And it's it's interesting to to really go back and discover like why you are the way that you are. And there's some things that are so deeply ingrained in, who you are culturally that it shows up as an adult so i have to say that i really i like i like the the sort of the history of being south african and even though it comes with a lot of um tragedy but also victory and my parents lived through more of the sort of like the hardships um of being from south africa but it shaped me into this curious person that I am today. Um, and so, so yeah, I don't know if that's a cultural thing or if that's like <laughs> a personal thing, but yeah, I just, I, I like sort of like the diversity in being from South Africa. You know, I never asked, do you speak any of the languages? So, I mean, we grew up speaking Afrikaans, mm -hmm. but, um, but personally, it's not like, you know, who am I speaking that, with right now it's like all my brothers we we all live here 
Um, but it was just um, South African, uh, South African, it was just Afrikaans or English. Um, my mother spoke a little Koza and, um, and that's it. Yeah. Carl speaks Afrikaans. Yeah, he does. I remember when he asked me, I was like, listen, I can say Uchandit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, you know, I can, I can completely understand it. But yeah, a lot of my, like my family in South Africa speaks Afrikaans. And mm-hmm. like, there's a part of me that I wish I was like fully bilingual in, in it. But, uh, but yeah, unfortunately not. I can speak French better than I can speak Afrikaans. Mm-hmm. Would you plan on going any, well, it's hard to say with COVID, but would you, do you have any plans to ever visit South Africa? I'd like to go back, um, especially with Hendrix, for him to be able mm-hmm. to see, you know. But we were actually planning to go as a, like, as a family with my brothers and everything else and uh, for this Christmas, but then COVID happened. I mean, I mean, like I said, it's, it's, eating into my bride plans <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> well anyways god willing next year we south africa will be a possibility for you guys and all the money we're all saving it will definitely be worth going at christmas and having a greater time and reconnecting with your roots and it's, it's been a really interesting chat i've loved having to talk to you about africa i um i was thinking about it the other day that how our lives you and i have come full circle with how we even met you and i went in opposite directions with our lives in the sense that you moved to Canada, I moved to South Africa, I mean to Ghana, and um, (laughs) our stories are similar but also very different, but for some reason, even though we went in opposite directions around the same time, we're together here at once in the same city, we've connected as friends, you know, and we were so similar in so many ways. And um, it's funny how if you're meant to meet someone in your life, it doesn't matter where your stories start, you always end up together. And yeah, exactly. It's been interesting. Like, go, we literally were like ships in the night. You came in, like, and I left, and um, we end up back here in Toronto, and we we live too far from each other. On that note, how about we say our goodbyes, and thank you, everybody, for listening and getting to know us. A little bit more. There's still more to talk about, but we'll save it for another day. Yes. Yes. And And I'm so hungry, so I'm going (laughs) to... late but go eat but guys it's been great so guys it's been great it's been real you got to know a little bit more about nicole and i so um continue to stay safe stay healthy wash your asses and um (laughs) we'll catch you guys real soon bye stay safe yes bye Oh, Juni, Simba, oh, Juni, Asa, baby, mushomi, nekita, mekupa, mama, 